Hello and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kevin Iwamoto, Chief Customer Officer for Bizly. Kevin is an expert in all things meetings and events. I have known him throughout his career, and he is a go-to source of anything that I need to know about and that I want to talk about. So today I've invited Kevin to talk about how the transition from pandemic to endemic is affecting meetings and events. It's an interesting topic, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this, Kevin. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. I'm glad you could join me today. I wanted to talk to you about about how the pandemic is going to affect our industry well into the future, which we and I have talked about before, that even right now, if we get our vaccination rates up and we're seeing meetings coming back and there's a lot of things that look positive, but how should we be thinking longer term? As we keep doing this, we're learning and we're growing and we're dealing with it. We're learning how to live with it. And I think that we're on the right course for the pandemic. We're almost at a point where this is not going to be categorized as a pandemic anymore. It's going to be categorized categorized as an endemic, which means like the flu, it's it's not going away. It's still there lurking in the background, but you have vaccines you can take and boosters and things like that. So that's where we are in the U.S. Now let's take a look at the rest of the world. The rest of the world is not there. And I would say that for those people who are thinking, as soon as we wind down, that live events are going to come back 100% and no more hybrid and no more virtual participation and stuff like that, I would say you're foolish because you're still going to have people, even if they're vaccinated, I'll use myself as an example, I still don't feel comfortable traveling. Mm -hmm. I still want to participate, Mm -hmm. but I don't feel comfortable traveling. So I will elect the virtual option or the hybrid option to participate in the event, whether it's speaking or whether it's attending as an attendee. And you're going to have to have that option for people who really can't travel, whether it's They're immunocompromised, they're at the right age group, they're afraid of taking a trip and getting infected and coming home and infecting their families. You have multitudes of reasons why people are still apprehensive about meeting and and attending these live events in person. How do you feel about big in-person events? Is Is it irresponsible? I mean, there is some concern just about the perception of it being reckless. What's your feeling on that? Let's be totally honest here. People like to gather with people and business gets done by face-to-face transactional or discussions or meetings or whatever you call Even socializing at an event is a catalyst for further conversations or sales potential and opportunities and stuff like that. You just don't get that on a on a hybrid call. You can replicate some of it, but not all of it. So the need to want to get together is not only human, it's also from a business getting done perspective, a lot more effective way of business getting done. Because it's really hard to say no to somebody you've met. Right. Somebody you just met online and you could 
basically say, well, I have no skin in the game in this conversation. So no, I'm too busy. Yeah. Right. I think it's realistic to expect that you want to be able to offer an in-person element of your event. But realistically, if you used to have 5,000 people, should you expect 7,000 people in person at your next event? Probably not, right? So you should realistically plan for the number of people who are still concerned about meeting in person, right? But I think this, this talk track that I'm hearing about Oh, pretty soon we can get rid of the virtual and the hybrid and all that kind of stuff. I think that is very unrealistic moving right, forward. Right. Okay. And people are expecting, I mean, we found this in the Pulse survey, 45 or so <clears throat> percent are expecting smaller audiences Yeah, um, and expecting that a lot of people don't, don't want to travel. What should be on um, our radar, planner's radar, my radar that I might or they might not have thought about? I think for one thing, what what I've seen people doing is instead of hosting like a 2000 person event, what they will do is chunk that out into geographic regions. So East, Midwest, South or West. And they'll just say, we want 500 people. We don't care if we get 2000 people. Right. And then if we get 2000 people online and 500 people in person, then that's okay with me. So I think it's a little bit more work because you have to like chunk out the content and the sessions regionally and replicate them. Or what some people have done is they'll have a main conference and they'll digitize all of the content and then they'll offer it regionally to everybody else. So there's different approaches that people need to take to be creative, but you're not only cutting costs, but you're still still engaging, not necessarily the best because it's not in person, but you're still reaching out, you're still engaging with people. And then the other thing that people really need to think hard and fast about is compression because what's happened is the the lack of labor or the the shortage of labor in the supply chain also affects the service industries too there's a lot of people who are let go from different uh, hotels and venues and stuff that frankly have not come back and a lot of those places have either gone under or are capacity restricted or they have a shortage of labor so the service levels are not where they should be and so everybody's going to have to be more patient but you need to plan further out now to make sure that you have enough options to select from. But anybody who's planning like last minute and looking for other alternatives is going to have a very, very difficult time. And that's what's happening. People are planning last minute. They want quick answers. Yep. And they don't want to commit too far out because right. they know what. And they're not even asking. Here's the other thing, Lauren, that I that I find a little shocking is that a lot of people's RFPs or RFIs or RFQs for venues hasn't really changed a lot. Like I've seen like maybe a handful, if that COVID related protocol questions, but they need to be asking more questions, right? It's like, uh, what, like if, if they have a labor shortage, what percentage impact does that have to your entire workforce at your venue? Is it like, are you down like, 30% labor? Are you down 40% labor? And if so, where is that shortage most prevalent? Is it in the housekeeping side? Is it in the maintenance engineering side? Is it in the the restaurant side? Have you closed down restaurants? Like there's been a couple of hotels I've been to where they don't have a restaurant anymore. You have to go outside the hotel and walk a few blocks. And so these are things that you need to ask in advance because that's going to help you make a better, more informed site selection that a lot of people aren't asking those questions. 
Is anyone asking? Do you see this in, in RFPs? Or I don't see it a lot. And I think it should be there more. And they should yeah. they should drill down more. Where I see it stop is, are you experiencing a labor shortage? Yes or no? Right. Well, if the answer is yes, you, need more you would want to know more. Right? It's like, okay, wait a yeah. minute. Because that means yeah. that, and then you need to also ask in terms of like hotel stays, right? It's like, are, are all 500 rooms available or are you making every other floor or every other room? Right. You, know, how, you know, did you take capacity out of your room blocks, right? So like, instead of having 500 rooms, now you only have 250. And the same thing needs to apply to like main ballrooms and amphitheaters. And if you socially distance people and let's say the room holds 2000 people, are you now only at capacity at 1000 people? Right. Yeah. And another question that came up in a discussion I had with a planner just last week was, what is the hotel's policy if someone comes down with COVID, if a guest? And some hotels say you have to leave. (laughs) And some hotels will keep them to their door and all that, keep them. But some say they have to get out. Yes. What are you you saying? It's crazy to me. but It is crazy. But again, if you don't ask that question up front, like... If I were supposed to house like 50 of my folks right. and in the RFP, you know, a hotel says like, what, what do you do in case a guest test positive right. for COVID? You know, if the answer is they need to leave ASAP, I don't want to put my people there because right. <laughs> that, now you're spreading you know, the virus. Where are they going to go? They where are they going to go? Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. But there are certain hotels that specifically have like COVID floors, but it's just that it's something that I wouldn't have thought of in in a site selection decision. What is the policy if someone tests positive? And yeah, that extends I, even into how the organization, the host organization handles it. Like, does the host organization cover the cost of that person having to quarantine for a week? Yes. No. I mean, are, have you even heard of this being addressed? It, 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 it's a bone of contention. And what I've heard on the extreme side is, is somebody got active approval to go and attend a meeting or event. They became infected. They had to quarantine and isolate. Mm -hmm. And then the cost of that quarantine and isolation and change booking fees and stuff were billed back to the company. And the company is now saying, either the company is going to say, yes, we'll pay for it or no, we're not going to pay for it. You want it to go. So you, now that comes out of your pocket, right? So it can go either the employee's responsible or the company's responsible, or the other scenario is the host organization says, no, we're responsible because you got infected while you were here, right? So those kind of things need to be laid out in advance before anybody goes anywhere. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you yeah. don't want to test positive and all of a sudden find out that nobody's picking up the tab, it's going to be you. That's what we've been discussing. And I I don't think there are a lot of companies or organizations that have made a decision or meeting hosts that that have said, yes, we'll pick up the cost or no, you're on your own. There's liability yeah. You no know, clauses or people are signing off saying that they're responsible for their decision to attend. You know, and for the most part that they're that the host <clears throat> organization is not going to be responsible. So I think it would be probably rare for say an association to say that they'll cover the cost for anyone who gets sick. I, I think you're right because they didn't they didn't force the person to attend. That person personally elected right. to go. Exactly. But I will I will tell you this that person who got approval from their company 
to attend and then got infected and then incurred more costs, whether they picked it up or whether the company picks it up. Can you imagine what their boss's reaction is going to be later on in the year when that same person says, oh, there's another conference I want to attend. Can I get approval? What do you think the response is going to be to that? It's probably going to be, no, you can't go. Uh, but I also think that the person attending really needs to read the fine print and find out what happens right. if something happens to me during right. you know, the course of that, that conference. Because I, 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 I have heard that companies are revisiting their insurance liability policies when right. it comes to employees. And I and I, I think that that becomes somewhat of a deal breaker because if you have a very risk adverse company, chances of them allowing their people to go and travel and go to conferences and meetings is probably going to be a lot less. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's interesting because I maybe naively assume that my company would allow me to expense. It. I, I, I just think <laughs> I just think in this day and age, Lauren, we can't make assumptions. We I need know. to ask and be informed. I mean, really, you should oh, yeah. you those are some of the decision-making factors that you need to have, in my opinion, before you even accept to go. Right. I mean, that should be in travel policy. That should be in policy. Yeah. Like, and if it's not in policy, you should ask the question. What if I test positive? Am I covered? Is the company covering me for my quarantine period? I mean, thank God, I think CDC dropped it to five days, but five days in a hotel with room service, that kind of adds up. And here's the thing. If they're short on staff, your room service, you better order lunch at breakfast time and you better order dinner at lunchtime. Order pizza delivered from uh, the place down the block. (laughs) It'll be delivered from the place down the block, yeah. I guess hotels have to be accustomed to figuring that out right now. Unless they're telling you you have to leave if you have COVID. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think all of them are really struggling with the closures and the new protocols that they have to adhere to and the lack of full staffing. And it's just a rough, rough, it still is a rough period because ultimately those shortages do impact the service levels. Yeah. Yeah. I think anyone who has traveled in the last two years have experienced that, you know, and I feel for these people. I I do too. I was at a hotel where the front desk, there was one brand new person who was trying very hard and very polite, but kind of yeah. making mistakes left and right. The manager was working the front desk, going next to the the restaurant and taking breakfast orders, <laughs> bringing stuff out of the kitchen. I mean, oh it was just like he the, like had three jobs. I felt sorry for the staff because they were really yeah. working hard and yeah. trying to keep things moving smoothly. And they were yeah. very professional, but it is almost impossible. You also have to empathize oh, with oh. the fact that that is not sustainable. Right. You yeah. can't ask everybody to do everything and yeah. anything 24-7, seven days a week. It's just not sustainable, right? People will burn out. People will get sick. Yeah. People will just quit because they don't want to work that hard. And so I think it's incumbent upon all of us to make better decisions and not put ourselves in that situation, right. but also not put the venues in that situation too. Right. So we're all just going to have to be more patient. I, I know it sounds terrible, but I keep telling people just be patient. Yeah. I guess the advice I would give to planners is don't procrastinate and try to think through everything that is in your control. Right. If anything, our industry is so resilient. We always figure out a way. We always bounce back. 
we're never down for the count too long before rising back up and trying again. But I do say that I've seen things and I've seen planners become more creative, uh, more thoughtful in just dealing with the way this, this pandemic is rolling out. But I, I will say with, with the pandemic being downgraded in the U.S. to an endemic, I'd say we're probably seeing more of a light at the end of the tunnel, where COVID is more like a flu shot every year, booster every year. It's going to be a COVID eating, booster. Well, that's a lot of food for thought. I yeah. <laughs> Interesting times, to be sure. Yes. But I have to say, I think the worst is behind us. If you look back and look at today, we should all take a you know, pat each other on the back and say, we've kind of survived the worst of it. We've been here before. We learned how to deal with it. We learned how to do a digital meeting. We we figured out the protocols to be more safe. We were thrown into an unknown fire (laughs) and uh, learned to doubt the flames. (laughs) It's less uncertainty now, which is comforting. Yeah. Yeah. At a high level, we've already kind of figured out what we need to do. We're so far ahead of where you were, where you just couldn't do anything and everything was just off limits. And we've kind of figured it out. So I think we continue to figure it out, continue to move forward. This situation is a lot more manageable than it ever was before. Good. I'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Ending on a high note. I like it. (laughs) So good. It was fun to talk to you, Kevin. Same here, Lauren. Always good to talk to you. And uh, let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon. 